0: Do not say I didn't warn you. I've been telling you for months that President Trump wants this trade war with China, and the stock market will not like it. I said it would be the principal risk to 2018's returns. Sure enough, we got slammed today after last night's news of still more tariffs, with the Dow plunging 287 points, S&P sinking 0.40 percent, Nasdaq declining 0.28 percent. Question is, who is the better hand, the People's Republic of China or the United States of America? Now that the trade war is really and truly here, meaning we're at last fighting back, I think it's worth devoting some time to figuring out which side will win. Obviously, this story plays out very differently if one side folds quickly or we both get bogged down in a trade war of attrition. Everyone loses in the latter, okay? In the latter, it's all bad, especially for those of you who own stocks, and I presume you own stocks, you wouldn't be watching mad money. That's why I want to tick down the disadvantages and the advantages of both sides. First and foremost, when it comes to tariffs, we actually have the upper hand for the simple reason that we import far more stuff from China than they import from us. $505 billion versus $130 billion. In other words, there are far more Chinese jobs at stake here than American ones. Plus, many U.S. retailers that get their merchandise from China tend to have another source just to make sure. If the tariffs are punitive enough, they may just pull up stakes from the People's Republic. It's happened. I bet the apparel companies, for example, could do so within the year. Many traditional products like appliances can easily be made in Mexico. In fact, we know from Martin Franklin, who used to run the largest small appliance company, Jordan, that it's already cheaper to make things in Mexico than in China. probably don't realize that, but it's true. Now, China does make lots of machine engines, lots of mechanical goods and electronics. We'll be hurt if President Trump imposes tariffs on those. They'll end up raising prices for many goods because you can't just build a heavy machinery plant overnight. And electronics made in China may cost so much more that you'll buy a less expensive product from another country that is still a lot more expensive than, well, before Trump was president. Similarly, many of the least expensive goods, the Dollar Tree trinkets, for example, you know, like your July 4th stuff that you go there with me and you see me there, they're going to have to go up in price. How much more can the dollar stores squeeze out of their consumers versus the meager margins? I don't know, but I'm not waiting around to find out. Sell, sell, sell. Another PRC win at these stores will be a day late and a dollar (laughs) short. Couldn't resist. How about the $130 billion or so worth of merchandise that China imports from us? Honestly, it's not really clear how much of this is imported and how much is already made in China. For example, we know that Starbucks, which cut same store sales guidance this very evening, and Yum China could easily be hit with boycotts by the government. We know that FedEx planes reported tonight, I thought it was a good quarter, uh, FedEx planes could be idled on the tarmac. We know the diaper market, the razor market, the shampoo market, and the makeup market could all be hit. We know that machinery, particularly machinery made by Caterpillar, and the Otis Division of United Technologies could see their sales lost to others. Sell, sell, sell! Even though I like them. Honeywell, 3M, and Emerson, Chapel Trust owns all three. They have substantial businesses in China and that provide a lot of their company's growth. Yeah, that's the best part of the businesses. All those stocks have already been hurt, though, and they'll probably, you know, continue to get hurt for a little while as the trade war continues. Total bummer! But you need to know the truth so you can hope for the best and plan for the worst. Boeing's the most visible victim, but as I've been telling you for ages, judging by the queue for Boeing planes, China needs Boeing more than Boeing needs China. Yet the stock got hammered anyway. But put it all together, and I think the same goes for the U.S. economy. China needs us more than we need them. I'm going to repeat that because no one believes it in the mainstream media. China needs us more than we need them. But it is mad money. Stocks could go lower anyway. And I'm not even including how much of our technology they rely on. We just saw how easy it would have been to close ZTE, the big Chinese smartphone maker, by denying them American technology. We're the winner. The one wild card. Will the Chinese risk boycotting Apple when it's one of the largest employers in China? That's the trillion-dollar question, as in Apple's run at the trillion-dollar market cap hanging in the balance here. More than one million Chinese in some way uh, work on Apple's products. What's bad for Apple is bad for the PRC. If you take Apple off the table, it's clear that aside from a handful of U.S. companies that have been able to sneak into the PRC and actually do a lot of business, which is very difficult to do, the Chinese economy depends on our markets a heck of a lot more than we depend on theirs. I think President Trump is willing to take the pain If it means getting China to abandon its most harmful and predatory trade practices, our economy is strong enough that he'll let Boeing and Caterpillar United Technologies get hurt. Same goes for Procter & Gamble and Kimberly-Clark or the beverage companies or Yum! China. In the long run, President Trump clearly believes it'll be worth it. What else? We hear constantly that the Chinese have more than a trillion dollars in our treasuries and they could really hurt us by dumping them. That's nonsense and I'm going to explain why later in the show. That said, we know that many U.S. outfits want to do business in China. The financials all want Chinese access. Same for most of the techs like IBM and Intel and Cisco and Microsoft. But that's a T-Rex, which has fangs. Fang does very little there. Facebook hasn't been able to crack the market. Neither has Amazon nor Netflix, at, which stock was up huge today, which you know, really, and Alphabet's Google. They've, they've all been—Google uh, the, hasn't been willing to play ball because of censorship. So think about it. Fang is probably going to rally the most because Fang is in China. On the other hand, China is now GM's largest market. They have a joint venture with a Chinese company, and they make them there. So if China slaps a tariff on General Motors, they're hurting themselves. Still, the stock got hit today, just like Boeing. I think some are betting that GM's going to be a big loser here. Here's the thing. China has a longstanding policy that if you want to do business there, you need to partner up with a local company. But that means they have very little leverage to punish the U.S. companies that do business there because they're all in bed with Chinese affiliates. They'd be cutting off their nose to spite their face, another reason why the U.S. can win another point. Now, politically, China has a clear edge. When you have an authoritarian state, you don't need to worry too much about public opinion. I mean, you can take it wherever you want it. President Trump, on the other hand, needs to keep Congress happier. They can roll back everything he's done. However, economically, I think we do have a real leg up. China attempted to create a coherent Western-style stock market not long ago, but it broke down badly last night with more than 1,000 stocks falling over 10%. Ouch! Chinese government's going to have to prop them all up. They've done that before, but that's a multi-trillion-dollar undertaking. At at that moment, there's no real functioning stock market in China, aside from a couple of stocks that we also trade every year, which is why every time you ask me to recommend a Chinese stock, I always say no. We've already done immense damage there. And the trade war has barely gotten started. Now, the president knows that this process is going to hurt us. Fighting back in a trade war is bad for stocks, it's bad for the consumer. But he also knows we have an incredible economy here. We also have abundant natural resources now that we've rediscovered so much oil and gas. We'll never have a better time to confront China over its unfair trading practices than we do right now. To put it simply, if you're going to have a trade war, you might as well win, right? And right now, I think we'll have no trouble winning. Yeah. The real issue from the stock market's perspective, though, is how long will it take us to win? Because if this trade war goes on for too long, if we keep trading body blows with the Chinese, then the economy could get hurt pretty badly, and any victory may prove to be a pyrrhic one when it comes to the stock market. However, if we can win quickly, it'll be better for everybody, both here and, yes, even in the PRC. Look, I know everyone presumes that the U.S. is a paper tiger and the Chinese are the real ones. Yeah, we're the paper tiger. Give me a break. Here's the bottom line. I think we may find out that China's the paper tiger. If you think the sell-off in our stock market was bad, just look at the collapse in their stock market. It's possible this could go on for a long time and get very painful. But I wouldn't be surprised if China ends up folding much faster than anyone expects. Still, you'll need to take some real pain, particularly in so-called China stocks, before you can get a potentially bountiful gain. Let's go to Mike in New York, please. Mike. Hey, Jim. Uh, Thanks for
2: having me back on the
0: show. Uh... Calling on uh, Cleveland Cliffs or CLF. Yeah. Now, yeah, so the steel prices have been relatively high, n- near their highs. I- I've seen Ray Dalio has actually doubled, nearly doubled his uh, stake in the company. Right. And uh, just curious. I thought these uh, Trump tariffs— were I don't know. I mean, look, look the dollar's getting up. stronger. The mineral stocks have really had a very big run. I'm not going to go there. I am not going to endorse that stock. i got way too many things going. I'm going to go to Jordan in my old home state of Pennsylvania. Please, Jordan—
1: yeah, Jim. How about those Eagles, baby? Surprise, Love birds. Jesse Willard did get you your own. Yes. Hey, I'd like to talk about Reginex, ticker R-G-N-F. They just had a blowout quarter EPS nine uh, by 92%. Uh, just got an S&P 600 listing and a $100 million accelerated life payment from the bar test. It's consolidated in the. Well, look, I mean, they actually make
0: money. What can I say? It's actually a real. I mean, a lot of these companies sound like they're not real. This is a real company that is a very, very good uh, spec. But remember, it did hit its all-time high today, so we got to be a little more circumspect because it wasn't that high high that long ago. Okay, the trade war is behind the decline in stocks. It all comes down to whether you believe it's the U.S. or China that has staying power to handle a real battle, or maybe nobody does. Oh Man Money Tonight, Corizzo Oil & Gas has been drilling into some of the country's biggest fines for over a decade. And owning its shares has given you a nice energy boost, up 90% over the past three months alone. Can it continue to power higher, or can the pause in the rally and crude have a lasting impact on its profit potential? Then after a brutal day on the averages, I'm going to be offering a little perspective and looking at the bigger picture when we go off the charts. Three solid ideas. And with the trade war uh, worries rocking this market, I'm buying a potential play that ended the day in the green despite the tough talk. Don't miss my exclusive with a medical device player that I think should be on your radar screen. So stick with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: With the oil producers now that the rally in crude is clearly stalled here, prices falling from the low 70s to 65 just a month's time. Still, 65 oil is nothing to sneeze at, as long as OPEC doesn't flood the world with new supply and push prices lower still. But if they stay here, what does it mean for the industry? Consider Carizo Oil and Gas. This is a $2.3 billion independent exploration production company. that operates in the Permian Basin, the Eagleford Shale, with some of the lowest costs in the industry. We can hear more about that. Now, when Carisa reported last quarter, it, 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 last, last month, it, it, the company just blew away the numbers planned and and while the stock has pulled back a teeny bit from its recent highs, the darn thing is still up more than 33% year to date. So, could Carrizo have more upside even if oil remains stalled, or do we need to be concerned here? Let's take a close look with Chip Johnson, the president and CEO of Carrizo Oil and Gas, find out more about how his company's doing, where it's headed. What a delight. Mr. Johnson, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you, Jim. Thank you, Chip. Thank you. All right, you uh, executed what we can only call the pivot of the year in that you recognize that maybe there's some traffic jams in Permian, not that Permian's bad, and you went uh, heavy on Eagleford, and the difference between the two has made it so Carizzo's having a great year.
2: You're exactly right. We we have seen the uh, oil price in Midland uh, drop to about $12 below NYMEX or WTI, and at the same time the Eagleford prices are about $7 or $8 higher than WTI because it's a seaborne crude on the Houston ship channel. So it's about a $20 difference. And so we're shifting rigs and frack crews there as fast as we can.
0: So people should understand that, that literally because you have these great Eagleford assets, you can make a lot more money than if you just had Permian.
2: Exactly. I mean, we, we like the Permian, too. We made a, right. a big investment there last year. And down the road, the Permian will have more and more drilling locations because it's such a huge hydro or oil column. But
0: But it's hard to get to market versus Eagle.
2: It's hard to get there right now because it grew so fast it got ahead of its pipelines. And the pipelines will probably come on in third quarter of 19. But until then, it's going to be a problem.
0: All right. Now, uh, there's a big OPEC meeting at the end of the week, but you have done a lot both to fix your balance sheet and also to be sure that you are not at the vicissitudes of the price of crude, right?
2: That's right. Now, we've been trying to get our uh, cash flow neutral where we're not outspending our our EBITDA anymore. We're getting closer and closer to that. It'll probably be early-19. We've brought our leverage down to 2.6 times, and that should get down to 2 next year. But we've done a lot of hedging. Last year when we made the big acquisition in the Permian, we knew we needed to sell some assets to pay for it, but if we had trouble doing that, we wanted to be hedged. So we've hedged our oil, and we've hedged the basis. So, for instance, getting the oil from Midland to the Gulf Coast or, or to Cushing, Oklahoma, we locked in 10 cents, and right now that's ten dollars so we made a lot of money on that head
0: so if oil goes to 50 you're okay
2: if oil goes to 50 we're okay and if oil is 50 we'll be getting 57 dollars in the eagleford well that's
0: what matters now you also understood another issue that i want you to explain to people there's a it isn't the only liquid you got to worry about water you guys have solved a lot of what people don't realize is a real conundrum
2: in the Permian Basin, you make a lot of water. The, uh, typically, you'll make five barrels of water for every barrel of oil. In the Eagleford, it's about one to one. And I think in the Bakken, it's about one to one. So it's probably the most water rich or or water problem oil basin. So right now, we're making three million barrels a day in the Permian. So we're probably. So tell making, me
0: what that means you're making, because people say, well, water, how can you make water?
2: When oil comes out, salt water comes out with it. And, and so that's the problem. And so you have. 15 million barrels a day of salt water right now that has to be dealt with, usually reinjected back into briny reservoirs that are deeper than anything else, or you try to recycle the water. We're, we're experimenting with that now. That would also reduce the need for fresh water for fracking, so that would be a, another plus.
0: One of my themes in tonight's show is is that we are a country with abundant natural resources. We have a lot of natural gas. We're doing stuff with it, right? It's not just flaring anymore.
2: No, we're, we're trying to use all this right. gas, and uh, in the Eagleford, we we flare almost no gas because we have so many pipes to the Houston ship channel, and so we can get rid of that gas and, and get basically Henry Hub prices for it. In the Permian, though, right now we're getting about a $1.40 deduct to Waha prices because you just can't get the I gas out of there. Yeah, so right. this month, we're shipping some gas into Mexico. There have been some new pipelines right. and several power plants, I think Iberdrola put in, that are... Uh, really adding a lot of demand for gas on the west side of Mexico, and now we can get gas there. So.
0: Does it matter that the Chinese are being tough on us and maybe don't want to accept our oil and gas?
2: I don't think that really matters. I think we'll sell the oil that we export to Europe if we don't sell it to China, and they'll buy it from somebody else too. So th- that'll create some inefficiencies, and, and maybe that's you know 50 cents or a dollar a barrel, but it's not. China's still going to need oil. They're they're not going to stop.
0: And uh, how about lowering the cost of of drilling? Just give us a sense of what you're doing now, say, versus five years
2: ago. We're probably drilling wells uh, for half of what we spent five years ago. We we typically in the Eagleford can drill a well every 10 days, and we can drill the lateral section of the well almost 5,000 feet per day, which was unheard of when we started doing this in the Barnett Shale 10 years ago. And so we've just got better drilling rigs. All the big drilling companies have these Generation 3 drilling rigs that have right. all the technology. And we have better drilling bits, and we just have better crews, and it's it's awesome.
0: Regulatory environment, does it matter? It's supposed to be better now than
2: under Trump than uh, before? I think it's better, but we have pulled in. we sold Appalachia and DJ Basin. Right. We're now a Texas company, so that's where you have... The least trouble with regulations, <laughs> partly because you're not in populated areas. So, right. you know, we dealt with that in Fort Worth when we were drilling in the right. city up there, and we were able to do it. But it's a lot easier to drill out in the middle of South Texas or West Texas.
0: Fair enough. Okay, that's Chip <coughs> Johnson, president and CEO of Cariza Oil and Gas. Yes, it's been a big winner, and the company's got a, a better balance sheet and very low finding costs. Stick with Kramer. Thank you. On a nasty day like today for the Bulls, sometimes it helps take a step back, try to get a longer-term view of the situation. This is the kind of moment where a little perspective goes a long way. So tonight we're going to go off the charts with the help of Carolyn Brodin. She's that brilliant technician. She runs the FibonacciQueen.com website. Also, be my colleague at RealMoney.com in order to check out some important longer-term weekly pictographs of the action. Brodin says the short-term daily charts are confusing here. Gotta agree with that. They don't give you enough context. In particular, we're gonna look at a couple stocks, one that's red hot. We're gonna look at CVS, Walgreens, and then Citigroup, which has basically been eaten by the fable T Rex. But before we get into the specifics, let me tell you why this longer term perspective is so valuable. Have you seen the monster run in Tesla? Broden called it. I mean, you look it up at realbuddy.com or even Twitter. Back in April, Tesla's daily chart was bearish as all get out. People were panicking. Stock was being eviscerated as the market collectively lost its faith in Elon Musk's leadership. But the weekly chart took a look. A look. Take a look at this. It painted a very different picture. This is really kind of fascinating. Broden noticed that Tesla was already down $145 from its, 50, from its previous high, roughly mirroring a, a similar decline not that long ago. Plus, the stock had been down for 28 weeks, very similar to a few other declines that ended after 29 to 32 weeks. Look at this. At the same time, she looked at uh, Fibonacci ratios, the series of numbers discovered by the medieval godfather of mathematics that repeat over and over and over again in nature. Hey, they're in snail shells, they're in pine cones, they're in flowers. Because for whatever reason, they also tend to repeat in the stock market. Basically, she measures past moves in a stock and then runs them through the prism of these Fibonacci ratios. In the case of Tesla, Broden saw that the stock was very close to making a 61.8% retracement, a very important Fibonacci level where falling stocks often rebound. When we'd seen these conditions in the past, Tesla has typically rallied and rallied hard, gaining anywhere from $105 to $211. So based on this precedent, Barodin predicted that Tesla was ready to roar. Sure enough, the stock has already tacked on $108 bucks from its April lows, even after today's brutal $18 slacking. And look, she still thinks there could be more upside here. I bet you Elon Musk retweets this. But, that, but that's beside the point. What matters is that if you only looked at the daily chart, you would have thought Tesla was a goner back in April. However, Brodin's interpretation of the weekly chart said otherwise. And as it turns out, Broden and Musk dead right. So what else might have some potential? here? I want you to look at the weekly charts the Fibonacci Queen sees for CVS, Walgreens and Citigroup. Let's start with the weekly chart of CVS. That's uh, the drugstore, not Channel 2. In uh, that reward, $3 higher today uh, on the announcement of its new prescription drug delivery program that we talked about all day. Uh, on the network, I should mention that she recommended this one to me over the weekend. So the call would seem a lot more prescient if we had run this segment yesterday. My bad. What does Broden like about this picture? Okay, first of all, it seems pretty clear at this point that CVS bottomed not that long ago. Support around 60 bucks. This floor represents a cluster of three Fibonacci price relationships, including 161.8%. Remember that 61.8% I mentioned, extension of a prior swing. Once your Fibonacci ratios go above 100%, they're called extensions. And Broden notes that many moves tend to terminate at these extension levels. So we have a lot of reason to believe that the bottom early last month will be a lasting one. Especially since the stock is now rallied a quick 10 bucks from those levels. As long as CVS holds above that $60 level, which shouldn't be too difficult with the stock at 70, then Broden remains confident here, although she recommends waiting for a pullback before you do some buying after today's run. How high could it go get this? She uh, could see a series of Fibonacci levels that could represent some resistance at 75, 77, 80, and 85. But you know what? She thinks that CVS could go all the way to 128 before it runs out of steam which would be remarkable given how Amazon seems to be taking them to the woodshed. All right, how about Walgreens Boots, speaking of something that Amazon's been crushing? Here's a stock that's still languishing near its lows. However, with Walgreens trading at 64 bucks, Rodin doesn't see much downside on the daily chart. The stock has a floor of support thanks to the cluster Fibonacci pricing ratios, uh, relationships running from $59 to $61. There's the floor. So we're talking about maybe three to five points of downside here. When the stock fell to those levels last month, it swiftly bounced. Rodin's take. We don't need to see much more upside for Walgreens to really begin taking off. With just a bit more of a counter trend rally, she thinks the minimum upside target is around 75 to 78. Up at least 10 bucks from here. But if the recent low turns out to be more important, then Broden could see Walgreens worrying all the way up to 107 before it hits its 127.2 Fibonacci extension that would likely put a stop to the move. Now, that may sound very aggressive, but look at it this way. If Walgreens drops down to say 58, then Broden might turn seller. Yes, she said she'd be a seller. She likes well to find risk reward, and if the stock loses six bucks here, she's out. If it keeps climbing, though, she's looking for anywhere from $10 to 33% of upside. That's some excellent risk reward right there for a great company that's been in the doldrums like CVS, I think, because of Amazon and some of the uh, merger and acquisition activity. Finally, there's the weekly chart of Citigroup which just can't seem to catch a break in this market, even though the stock is darn cheap at these levels, and the company has a lot going for it. Now, Broden says that she just found a cluster of at least seven, seven Fibonacci price relationships here, around 64 to 65. It's very interesting because the company, if they buy back stock here, it's, it's really pretty fabulous, and they are buying back 7% of the company, just so you know. Uh, it's 2 or 3 bucks from where Citigroup's currently trading. That could be a powerful floor of support. Good, because there sure hasn't been much. At the same time, if the stock can get some bounce here, she thinks it could easily shoot up to $72 at a minimum. And if Citi can clear the $72 hurdle, then she thinks it would be smooth sailing all the way to $84. And this is a bank stock. But in order for this move to happen, the stock needs to hold that above that $64, $65 floor. In other words, if it goes down two or three bucks from here, Broden's going to throw in the towel. Otherwise, though, she thinks the upside in Citigroup could be tremendous. Thank heavens, as we honor from my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionWatchPlus.com club. Here's the bottom line. When nothing seems to be making sense about the market or even a particular stock, you need to take a step back and get some perspective. And based on Carolyn Barodin's reading of the weekly charts, we could have some seriously exciting situations unfolding in CVS, Walgreens, and Citigroup. CVS has already started making its move. I wouldn't be surprised if the other two follow right in its footsteps. Let's go to Jake in my old home state of Pennsylvania. Jake! Hey, Jim, coming
2: here from Pennsylvania, Philadelphia.
0: Wow, I've got to tell you, man, I'm feeling great. I just got a really terrific note from Chris Long for donating to his incredible charities, which I want everyone to check out because he's such a charitable guy and he does so much good for the community, doesn't get talked about enough. There you go. What's up?
2: Hey, so I'm reaching out to find out what your thoughts are on PNC Bank. As you know, it's the largest regional bank. I like all the banks. It's really been pulling back. Uh, respectively, about 13% off from its all-time high. PNC continues its national expansion. It's got extensive investment in electronic banking. It's got that Dell. It's trying to keep up with all the electronic payment platforms.
0: Plus, it's going to be bringing in blockchain, I'm sure. So, with interest rates going up, deregulation,
2: stress test results, a high dividend, and limited for exposure, right. can we expect a buy? Well, okay,
0: look, PNC did not have a good quarter. Okay, it just did not have a good quarter, and that is going to stick with them until they report their next quarter. So I cannot get behind the stock here. Don't buy Let's Don't go buy. to Lou in New York. Lou.
1: Hi, Jim. My question is on LKQ. Um, the stock was over 40. Now it's down at around 32. I know they had some uh, organic growth, good revenue growth. Uh, there's still a slowdown
0: in Europe. Um, I know, but you know what? Rum- we, we were, uh, last week, we were telling people, I mean, two weeks ago, I got a phone call, and I said, listen, that story has not changed. It is still good. I subsequently checked to be sure if that's the case, and yes, the story's not changed, and the stock is a buy. Let's go to Bob in South Carolina, please. Bob. It's
2: sweltering 98-degree booyah to you, my friend. True. What's up? Yeah. Ex- Express Scripts, ESRX. Jim, I've done research. I don't know what to do with this. Well, look, it's, with mer- it's a
0: it's a merger situation. I happen to think the merger is an excellent one. I have to tell you, I am not alone. People are starting to get... I joked about this with, with David Faber because his signature is at 173. I said it's going to get to 175. Express Scripts is going to go higher. I want you to hold on to it. I like the combination. Okay, when nothing makes sense, take a step back and get some perspective. Tonight's chartist expects some excitement to come from CVS, already started, Walgreens, and Citigroup, which has been eaten by a T-Rex. Much more my money head. I'm always sniffing around for new ideas investing, and tonight I've caught one. <laughs> this is the scent of an interesting news story in the medical device space. I'll reveal the name just ahead. Then, if China wants to sell their 1.1 trillion in treasuries as a way to protest tariffs, I say, bring it on. I'll explain why. And all your calls, rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. We're always in the hunt for new ideas around here, especially when the broader market is really not so hot. So tonight, I want to introduce you to an intriguing story in the healthcare space. I'm talking about. Optinose, O-P-T-N. It's a drug delivery company that helps people who suffer from ear, nose, and throat problems. It also has its own formulations. The idea here is that Optinose has a unique technology, what they call an exhalation delivery system. Basically, you put it in your mouth and your nostrils, and when you breathe out, the pressure shoots the drugs you need up your nose while preventing them from dripping back down into your mouth. The idea here is that you can get these drugs where they really do need to go. Far, from, uh, far far into your sinuses, very hard to do, which gives them an edge over other medications. The company's already got two products on the market, a migraine therapy and a treatment for nasal polyps, and it could ultimately help with all kinds of allergies, too. Now, Optinose came public last fall, but it took a while for the stock to really get traction. So far this year, though, it's up 30%, mostly thanks to the launch of HAND. It's nasal polyp treatment back in April. So could the thing have more upside? Let's check with Peter Miller, the CEO of Optinose, to learn more about this fresh face IPO and its prospects. Mr. Miller, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Have a seat. Great to see you, too. All right. You do have a revolutionary new way to get drugs to where they need to go. And I think you've got to talk about this CRS market, how big it is, and how big it is uh, for this nasal polyp syndication, because this is not a device that's treating a small market.
1: Absolutely, Jim. And it's a disease that's not terribly well understood, because this is not allergic rhinitis. This is chronic rhinosinusitis. So it affects 30 million people in the United States. About 10 million of those 30 million people develop these nasal polyps. That's the first indication that we got from the FDA, so about 10 million people. About 10 million of the, pe- 10 million of the 30 million being actively treated by physicians. About. Six six million people have had surgery, Jim. Pretty much seven million, actually. The only thing that really works for the treatment of this disease, chronic chronic is surgery. Problem with surgery is it doesn't really cure the problem. Many people, symptoms return. the first indication that we're going after nasal polyps, we're launching in the ENT allergy specialty segment, okay. treating about three and a half million of the patients.
0: All right, so you have to do some missionary work, though I imagine, with doctors who may not be familiar with Optinose.
1: We do. I mean, Jim and I, we're very proud, by the way. It was we, we did get uh, the approval of the product last September. We actually chose to delay the launch of the product because hmm. we said we have to build two things in the market. First, you've got to build awareness of the product. Right. The second is you've got to get coverage. Right, uh, the payers. From the payers, and, vital. And what is the percentage now that you have of payers? Well, payers were up to 65% okay. have what we call hassle-free coverage. We actually have 74% of patients have it covered on their formulary. 65% we like to say hassle-free. In terms of awareness, though, Jim, what you first asked about, uh, last September we had 29% awareness. We now have over 85% awareness. How would you get so fast? We, frankly, do things um, in sort of novel ways, Jim, despite the fact we chose to not launch for a period of time. We had an innovative idea to put clinical nurse educators out in the field prior to the launch of the product. They were able to educate doctors on the disease state here, how our product, as you said, uses the magic of breath to get the drug high and deep in the nasal cavity. Um, And that, I think, a brilliant idea by our chief commercial Uh, officer.
0: Explain the delivery system, because, I mean, why can't I just use, like,
1: nasal spray? Yeah, so probably the simplest way to describe it, Jim, is that the nose, most people don't really know what's behind the front of your face. The nose is designed to let stuff go this way and to prevent it from going this way. It's a series of bony structures, narrow, labyrinthian-like passages. So if you try to put something in your nose via nasal spray, less than half actually gets in the nose, gets deposited on the front of the nose. What does get beyond the nose goes to the floor of the nose, and because you sniff, it goes in the stomach. So we we have a device called exhalation delivery system. It has a mouthpiece and a nosepiece. The brilliance of this mouthpiece, Jim, is when you blow, we use sort of the magic of the breath to go up into the nose. It really doesn't shoot it. It sort of navigates it around all these structures. The result is we get a lot of drug high and deep in the nasal cavity.
0: All right, so I look at this and I say to myself, well, I'll duplicate that. I'll just make something just like it. Um, what happens?
1: Well, we have patents, Jim, obviously. Okay. So uh, a brilliant ear, nose, and throat uh, friend of mine, now in Nor- lives in Norway, Pair Dupaslan, invented the device. We have patents that run out through 2024. And I don't know how familiar you are with the drug Advair. Sure. But when you have a topically acting drug, so unlike a systemically right. acting in the blood, it's very difficult for a generic to be AB rated. They have to do, they can't just do simple PK trials to show your equivalent, okay. they have to run big clinical trials. So. We believe, Jim, we have very long exclusivity for the and,
0: product. Uh, and one other thing. Um, what happens if there's 30 million sufferers? I mean, there's obviously a bigger market than, than, than the current one we're talking about. Can you get approval?
1: Well, so thank you for bringing that up. The uh, The program we're doing is so we have 30 million people suffer. About right. 10 million people have these nasal polyps. The 20 million who don't have nasal polyps, we are pursuing a the program. They need this, right? Absolutely. And that's a program that we plan to have in the clinic by the end of the year. Hopefully to bring that indication to market, which, by the way, will enable us to access an additional 50,000 doctors, an additional six and a half million patients.
0: Wow. OK, so I'm really glad to hear this. This is very valuable. And I think that if you want to see how it works, you can go it's a, there, I've seen the video. Exhance.com and X-Hance.com, And you see how easy it is to use. That's Peter Miller, the CEO of Optinose. And the stock is getting hot. Now you heard why. Very big markets ahead. May have money's back into the break. It is time! it's time for the lighting rounds over. Are you ready? Skate down! the Dan in Texas. Dan!
2: Jim, heard the news about GE. Wow. Hey, where do you think their profits are going to be in three years after uh,
0: they unwind their liabilities in GE Capital from last Well, we have help. to. John Flannery is doing his best with one of the worst hands that anyone's ever been given. Uh, There was so much that was not known. I interviewed Nelson Peltz last week as part of uh, Street.com corporate governance conference for the deal. And he said, look, what could you tell? You didn't know. The company just was not forthcoming. Uh, Now that they're being forthcoming, all I can say is listen to Steve Tusa. He nailed it when I was at 27. He knew that ML was – I don't want to go in there, now. I going to take another call. Let's go to Shanti in California. Shanti. Hey,
1: Jim. Good to be here. How are you?
0: I am good. How about you?
1: Good. Thank you. Hey, I loved your tweet yesterday calling for positive tweets. Yes. I wish you could make it the next corporate challenge.
0: Well, I want more positivity. I do. And I don't mind dog pictures. (laughs) I'll retweet all the dog pictures. I love dogs. Go ahead.
2: Yes, yes. Hey, I am following TAP. Looks like it's coming back up but then there's also this lawsuit. What would you recommend?
0: You know, I've got to tell you, Sandy, look, it's so funny because I am a course, Light drinker and all my friends know that, except for when I'm drinking Corona at my bar. And uh, I just think that Molson Coors is just not doing well enough to recommend the stock. It's just it's just not having good quarters. And it also calls into question exactly how sustainable the beer market is. It's that bad. Let's go to Betty in uh, Michigan. Betty. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thanks for taking my call. Of Love course. your show. Uh, what's your take on the symbol E-X-E-L, buy or sell? You know, I'm surprised it's down so much. I mean, they actually have a lot of goods. Uh, it's it's Barton is being very speculative. I think it's not as speculative. I'm a buyer. <laughs> Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Jim, I got an LP for you. It pays 7.8%. Uh recently acquired a slot on the Houston Shipping Channel. Naming the company is SEM Group, tickers F-C-M-G. Well, we know that using shipping Channel is worth a great deal. At the same time, we also know that that group is under a lot of pressure, uh, and a lot of the ETFs have uh, a lot of pressure, selling pressure on them. So I am not going to recommend that stock, even though you're absolutely right. They've got a good situation going. How about Michael in Indiana? Michael.
2: Good evening, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking the call. Of course.
0: I have a uh, regional bank that's selling 52 of its branches to
2: Flagstar Bank out of Troy, Michigan.
0: Not bad. Not bad. It's an inexpensive uh, regional. The regionals are doing better than the majors. I, I, I am not against that stock. I think it's fine. I won't be hurt that bad by the yield curve. Let's go to Craig in Nevada. Craig.
2: Sonny, hello from Las Vegas, Jim. Jim, this would be my first time in a utility, but as a retiree, I love the dividend. Your thoughts on PPL.
0: I cannot believe that company yields six. That was my electric company for a very long time, and it's very well run. I think it's a terrific buy here, and I would buy the I would pull the trigger right now, PPL. Let's go to Jeff in Michigan. Jeff.
2: Jim, Jeff Curry
0: from Niles, Michigan. That's who hey, I thought it was. What's up?
1: Most unique business model in the banking industry where it's really tough to be unique. L
0: O B Live Oak. Bank. Small business lender and I don't know what they have. I want to come back. That tends to not be my bailiwick because I want a bigger pastiche of loans, but we'll do some work on it and come back. Let's go to Damon in New Jersey. Damon.
2: Who are you Kramer? Who are, Kramer? Damon, Damon in Jersey City, New Jersey.
0: Nice, right through. Thank Stones you. throw. What's up? All right.
2: I want to ask you about the Kratos Defense and Security. When well, this stock was in six,
0: seven, eight, we recommended it. It's gotten up to 11. I am more nervous about it here. Why, why am I nervous? Probably wrong word. I am uh, concerned because the short position is so big, and the shorts just spread constant pain about this one. I don't want to be a part of either side. Uh, it has gotten too difficult. It is a true battleground. How about jigging New Jersey jig?
1: What's up, Kramer? How you doing?
0: doing okay I'm feeling all right how about you good
1: good very good
0: so uh, I had a question I was planning to buy box to hold okay the so box goes down on what I think is conservative guidance and then it comes right back up not unlike Adobe I don't know why people sold it maybe they don't understand this man and his business model Aaron's doing a good job let's go to Bobby in New York Bobby hi Jim hi Bobby Big from Rochester New York oh, I'm inquiring about AGNC the
1: reach. I know it's got a good this. yield.
0: I gotta tell you, it is not my kind, my cup of tea. I've been against it. I like appreciate I own stocks for appreciation. Not for that 11% yield. I don't want to touch that one. Uh, how about one more? Let's go to Albert in Florida. Albert.
1: Hi, Jim. Albert. Love your be a show. Uh, first-time caller. Okay. Uh, what's, what's your opinion on Siri? Stock? Hey,
0: uh, Siri's doing a thing with. Um, they're doing a thing with Dick Foles. Uh, I'm not kidding. If it, You're calling, you can get a ticket. Anyway, I, I have been behind Sirius Light now for a double, and people keep downgrading it and downgrading it, and they're wrong. I'm ah, right. I'm it's right. a buy, and that is not done. We've got John in Kansas. John. John. Yes, Jim. Go ahead, man. I'm getting here. This a, a long lighting round. This is like kind of like a, you know, one of the marathon jobs. What's up? <laughs> hey, my stock is MSCI. Oh man, MSCR. Well, that's Henry Fernandez is the CEO. He was almost I made him one of the CEOs of the year last year. He's doing an incredible job. That stock is still a buy even up here, and I've been recommending it now for almost for a double. And that for a double. Henry Fernandez, good work. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round
1: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: Let me make one thing real clear. The United States is not hostage to China just because they own tons and tons of U.S. treasuries. That is not how it works. I keep hearing about how we need to worry that China is going to sell its massive treasury holdings to punish our government. They own about $1.18 trillion as of this April, which is down from $1.28 trillion in June of 2013, five years ago, but way up from $535 billion ten years ago. Now, I find this whole argument to be a total and complete Canard. First of all, why would China even sell in the first place? The Communist Party does need to raise a lot of money or pop up its stock market. Shanghai index was down 3.8% last night, but they're over 1,000 stocks down more than 10%. Remember, China already has a $5 trillion meltdown from its highs. We know that they can freeze stocks to keep them in the air or just pour in money to prop them up. So they may need the cash to do that. Wouldn't shock me with these guys. But even if China sold a metric ton of US Treasuries, would that really be so bad for us? Remember, as the yield on the 10 year crept up to 3%, everybody freaked out like it was the end of the world. Wasn't that a repulsive time? People were terrified of rising interest rates. Since then it's moved back to just under 2.9%. Now nobody cares. Oh, that makes sense. Well, what does this have to do with the price of China? Okay, when people worry about interest rates, I think the real concern is that with the Fed tightening, there isn't enough inflection in the yield curve. In other words, Long-term rates aren't that much higher than short-term rates. This makes it harder for banks to make much more money off your deposits than they would normally. More importantly, it's a sign that people are worried about the future. In short, we want more inflection in the yield curve, which means we need higher, longer-term interest rates. Well, guess what? If the Chinese decided to dump their Treasury holdings, that will move our long-term rates back up where they should be. The banks will become a heck of a lot more profitable, and commentators will stop droning on and on about the lack of inflection in the yield curve as a sign that the future is bleaker than we thought. Suddenly, they say the future is brighter than we thought, knuckleheads. In short, China selling U.S. Treasuries will not miss, have big benefits, in not inclu- uh, no, perhaps including the fact that all those guys would have to shut up. Now, just in case you're not confused enough, let's throw in the dollar. Higher interest rates typically translate into a stronger dollar as U.S. Treasuries become more attractive investments. And foreigners buy lots of greenbacks so they can pay for our bonds. Remember, you have to buy the dollar first and then you buy the bonds. And look, there are plenty of foreign buyers who will rush in to fill the vacuum. But there's another aspect to this. For decades, China kept its own currency cheap by buying dollars and then investing them in U.S. Treasuries. If they suddenly sell a trillion bucks worth of dollar-denominated assets, where the heck are they going to put that money? If they exchange it for their own currency, it'll weaken the dollar and strengthen the yuan. Good for American exports. Bad for Chinese exports. That's the last thing they want in the middle of a trade war. They can't spend the dollars here. That would defeat the whole purpose of trying to punish us. And if they trade them for euros, say, they'll still end up making their own currency more expensive. The whole exercise is self-defeating. we got to stop talking about this. I bring this up because I just can't get over everything I read and hear, including this very morning, about how we'd be better be careful or the Chinese will dump their U.S. treasuries. There are plenty of things I am really worried about when it comes to our escalating trade war with the PRC, as I mentioned at the top of the show. But this ain't one of them. If China wants to sell their $1.2 trillion worth of U.S. Treasuries to somehow punish us, I say go ahead, make my day. To paraphrase J. Paul Getty, if you owe somebody $100, that's your problem. If you owe somebody $1.2 trillion, that's their problem. Stick with Remember, it's not mad politics. I actually agree that we need tariffs, but it's mad money, and it's not good for the stock market. I just want you to have no illusions about that. The stocks that will go up here will not be the industrials until this war is won. Like I said, there's always a the bull market somewhere. I promise I find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you
1: tomorrow.